0: Shall so we all look to the Lord in prayer and ask him to speak to our hearts and not harden our hearts if we hear his voice through the exposition of the word and allow him to penetrate our hearts, open the eyes of our heart and may we confess, repent and submit to the authority of his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this wonderful afternoon you have given to us to listen to your word and we thank you for this gift of the word through which we know who you are we understand your works and we also know who we are and also what you expect from us and we pray this afternoon that you please to open the eyes of our heart and our hearts like the people in the wilderness May we not harden our hearts and be deceived by the allurements of sin. But may we submit ourselves to the authority of your word, for that is good for our souls. For there is no good in seeing what is right in our own eyes and following our own ways. The good for our souls is in the ways of God and in all that you have for us in your word. And we pray that you please do speak to our hearts this Afternoon and save us from the hardening of the heart, from the schemes of the devil, and from the enticements in the world. And we pray that you fill us with your word and with your presence. And let not these words fall on the ground, but deeply penetrate our hearts and bear abundant fruit for the glory and honor of your name. Thank you that you are not the God like the gods of the nations, you are muted, you are dead. Who don't have any life in them. But our God is the living God. And your word is a living word. And we pray that you exalt the authority of your word. And humble us before your throne of majesty. In the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We offer this prayer with thanksgiving. Amen. 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 Please turn our Bibles to the book of Hebrews. And uh, we have listened to the first part of the message last week dwelling on God's rest and I have done my best by the grace of God to simplify this complex passage for your comprehension and uh, today I would like to cover the second part and I was arguing with you from the scripture reasoning with you that the rest that the Bible speaks about is essentially the presence of God and it is God's presence and we need to understand this is what salvation is. The Bible says very clearly that salvation is reconciliation to God. Which means we come into the presence of God. Sin has separated man from God because of, it, because of this souls have become restless. But Christ had come, he died for our sins and rose from the dead so that he can bring back the presence of God in our lives. And I've also explained to you there are three aspects of rest. One is the the salvation rest, which we find when we confess and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And I've also explained to you the sanctification rest as we keep enjoying the presence of God as we grow in the knowledge of our Savior. And also I have shared with you the sabbatical rest, which is the eternal rest towards which we are all Waiting and looking forward. And I was also telling you that. When the author of Hebrews spoke about the rest in this passage. It is essentially salvation rest and the eternal rest. Sanctification was not there. But we understand in the larger biblical theology. And we see that these people. Why the author of Hebrews is reasoning with them. About the supremacy of Christ. And calling them. To find rest in the presence of God it is because they claim to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. But as they were growing in the Lord Jesus they saw that Christian life is not easy. There is persecution, there are temptations and there are afflictions. Because of which they were tempted to go back from the Lord into Judaism. Because of which the author is calling them to return back to their faith and don't give up the faith because of the trials and tribulations, but hold on and persevere in the Lord till the end. And I so I also concluded the last week's sermon that there are only two mandates in the entire passage in Hebrews chapter 4. The rest of the things are all reasoning about how these two mandates are important. For us to practice and uh, fulfill. Why does he say that? We all he, he addresses, see, he, he begins with the importance of fear. You know, we are all people who fear. If there is anyone who says that you don't fear, you are a liar. I have not found a single person in my life who do not fear. Some some people fear snakes, and I've seen women are especially good at being scared by cockroaches which to men are nothing. And some of us fear some terminal illness. If you come to know that there is some terminal disease in you, you will see fear descending on your hearts. And some people are afraid of dying. Some people are afraid of some harmful people about what they can do to you. And some people are afraid of uncertainties that we may face in the future. There is nothing secure in this world. And we constantly live and switch from one fear to another fear. But the Bible speaks about there is a fear that we need to cling on to, develop, cultivate in our hearts, which does good to us. There are a lot of negative fears that we entertain, but the Bible speaks about healthy fear. And that is how it begins in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 1. It says here, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. Let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. After revealing to these people how the Israelites failed to enter the rest, but it is not closed, the door is not shut down. The promise of rest still stands and it is open for the new covenant people. And what does he say here? He tells them that still, since the promise of rest still stands, he says that let us fear. Let us fear lest any of you would miss this great rest that is in store for us. Fear is something that people don't like. In fact, these days we see that the fear of God is something people completely neglect. And I understand because of the negative emphasis on fear, and the, what is mostly emphasized these days is the love of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God, which is true. It is important for us to dwell on these beautiful, lovely characteristics of God. But the Bible also speaks about the fear of God. In fact, if you read the Bible carefully, from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible speaks about fear of God more than any other thing. It is such an important thing the Bible speaks about. Now what does fear mean in this context since there are some misapprehensions about what fear is and some of us are coming from some legalistic churches where they had shown some unhealthy fears in our hearts because of which we fear the word fear altogether. Let me cite Puritan John Owen who lived between 1616 till 1683, what he describes fear in this context. He was a great theologian of his time in the 17th century and at the same time a great devotional writer. And this is what he says the fear intended in this verse in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 is a combination of two things. First, it is a reverent understanding of God's holiness and greatness and his severity against sin. I love the way it is projected here and that is what the Bible speaks about. In fact, as Shankar was telling that these days he is enjoying reading the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And you have no wisdom, no understanding, no discretion, no discernment, no insights if there is no fear Of God, and what is this fear of God? It is understanding how holy God is, how He is a transcendent being high and above all the creation, and at the same time, He hates sin with perfect hatred, and because He hates sin with perfect hatred, He had to sacrifice his Son on the cross to take his vengeance upon sin, and in this way to satisfy. His divine justice. God is great and holy. And he hates sin with a perfect hatred. Because of this we fear God. And the second thing is that. It is using the means of grace carefully. To avoid the evil of unbelief and disobedience. So the reason why the author says here. That you need to fear lest you miss it. Is because he says that. Don't entertain any unbelief. Because the God that you are believing is a great holy God who hates unbelief, who hates disobedience. And if you yield to that, there are very dire consequences that he had to face. If God did not spare Adam and Eve, but casted them out of the Garden of Eden because of one single disobedience to his commandments. If God did not spare his own son on the cross, but poured out his own wrath upon the son because of sin. How shall, if we deny this great and the almighty God, and yield ourselves to unbelief, we'll escape from this consuming fire? And that is the argument that we see. The Bible speaks about. You know, the interesting thing as I see that, is he constantly jumps from you know, comfort and to warning. Comfort and warning. And here is a warning after comforting. Here is a warning. He says, be careful. You know, what we understand here is that he says that the reason you have to fear is because if you don't fear God, you cannot trust Him. Trust is the result of fearing God. And this fear of holiness of God, the greatness of God, and the severity against sin causes people To believe in him. For example you can see. In Psalm 115 verse 11. Psalm 115 verse 11. You see what the psalmist says. Who you fear the Lord. Trust in the Lord. He is their help. And their shield. Do you see that? Who you fear the Lord. Trust in him. He doesn't say that those who trust in him. Fear the Lord. No. He says, "Who you fear the Lord, trust in him because trust is the consequence by product of fearing God. And if we really fear God in our lives, if we really fear who he says he is, if we really fear what he says he does, if we really fear about what he says about sin, if we really fear what he says about the consequences of sin, If we really fear what he says about belief and and disobedience, then we will trust in him and no other. Jerry Bridges uh, made a very paradoxical title to his book because we often see one thing in the absence of the other. And that is the joy of fearing God. We think that when there is joy, there is no fear of God. If there is fear of God, there is no joy. In fact, he argues that true joy is in fearing God. Fearing God is an enjoyment. It is not something that is scary. And in that book, he argues, and he makes a statement here that we cannot separate trust in God from the fear of God. We will trust him only to the extent that we genuinely stand in awe of him. So we all repeat that final statement. We will trust in Him only to the extent that we generally stand in awe of Him. And I want to argue from this passage that today, as we are living in the modern times, there is a great need for us to fear God, which is greatly lacking. We either fear God unhealthily. What is an unhealthy fear of God? He is merciless. He hates us. He doesn't like us. He always tries to punish us. See him as a terror. And that is what we see in some of the legalistic churches. They present as a merciless God. That is not what the God of the Bible is. And the other extreme is lack of fear of God. Where we take him for granted. His love, his grace, his mercy, his compassion. We just see that, oh God is so good. So it doesn't matter how we live our life. These two paths are dangerous. And the Bible tells us to fear God in this context, lest you miss the rest God has in store for us. And the other mandate that he gives is close to the end in verse 11. I have explained to you already last week from verses 2 till 10. And uh, the other man that after he says about fearing God. And after he gives convincing reasons to the recipients about how, why they should fear. The importance of rest. He says in verse 11. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Again you see he says so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Same sort of the disobedience that people in the wilderness have manifested. Please don't do that. You strive. It's very interesting here. That rest means there are no efforts. Right? That's how we see that. But it says that be diligent. Try to enter the rest. You cannot just rest in rest. You need to strive to enter the rest. That is what the scripture says. He is speaking about. In verse 1, the reason he gives is, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. And in verse 11, the reason he gives is, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. Now, what does it mean, strive here? I've explained to you what faith is. And what does it mean, strive here? The Greek word for this is spoudazo. And it has a very interesting description of it. It means the idea of hastening to something with an implication of intense effort. You see that this is so important that you don't want to delay anymore. You don't want to neglect this anymore. You see that this is so crucial to your life that you with a sense of urgency make every effort and you will not entertain any casual, lazy and uh, flippant attitude in your life. The question that comes is, how do you strive to enter God's rest? How do you strive to enter God's rest? From this passage, I would like to prove to you there are two important factors through which you enter into God's rest. There are no other means without this that you can enter into God's rest. The first factor that we see from this passage is that we enter God's rest by faith. We enter God's rest by faith. Let me read this passage for you, Hebrews chapter 4 from verses 1 to 2, and observe carefully what he speaks over here. Therefore, while well, the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem To have failed to reach it. For good news came to us. Just as to them. But the message they heard. Now hear carefully. The message they heard. Did not benefit them. The message they heard. Did not benefit them. Because. They were not united by faith. With those who listened. What does it say here? He says that hearing the word of God doesn't change your life. It doesn't change. Why so many people keep on hearing there are a lot of people who are still unsaved in the churches. There are a lot of people still do not grow up in their salvation in the churches. Why? Because it doesn't benefit them because they are merely listeners. And the Bible talks about here that you need to combine your hearing with faith and belief. That what God says is true. If I tell you that there is a fire in this room. And you say, Stephen, David, we believe what you say is true. I say, there is fire in this room. And very soon, in 10 minutes, all is going to consume. We believe that what you say is true. And you just sit on the chairs. What does it show? You don't believe me. (laughs) You don't believe. You, You merely confess but you don't believe me, if you really believe, what is the evidence that when I say there is fire in this room and in 10 minutes it's going to be consumed, what is the evidence that you truly believe what I say? Everyone will run away. and that shows that you truly believe what I say is true. Brothers and sisters, do we truly believe what God would says? If you really believe, how is it manifested in our action? The biggest problem I keep telling these brothers and we also keep telling that the dangerous thing in the Christendom that we are living is it's very easy for us to mug up words and use it beautifully with flowery vocabulary in our prayers. And also when we talk to each other, we will just parrot them and pay lip service. We know what is a gospel, we know what is a reform, doctrinal terminologies, justification by faith, sanctification by words, glorification in the future. We can speak all this so wondrously, beautifully, without meaning anything in our hearts. How does it show? The way we live our lives. And that's another dangerous thing. The Bible tells that it doesn't benefit you if you simply hear the word of God. Why couldn't the wilderness Israel enter God's rest? It is because of lack of faith. And why did the author of Hebrews here. Is pointing to the example of this wilderness Israel. Because he says here that. Be careful that you will not be hardened like them. Like them. Like them. Why is he pointing them actually? Because we know that he is using them as a warning right? You will see that even these days, government is doing, there are many warnings that people use in cautioning the dire things that you will face as your negligence. We see, especially in cigarette packets, right? I know that some of you drink and some of you don't smoke and some of you smoke. Some people smoke just directly and some people smoke by just sitting next to the person who is smoking. So we all smoke in some way or the other. And you know that on the packets, on the cigarette packets, what do you see there on that? We see that what smoking is and you see some gory pictures what are the gory pictures earlier it was not there in my time but these days we see there are gory pictures dangerous pictures on the cigarette packets what do you see a huge lump coming out of the throat it's hanging what does it show you have cancer do you think many people pay any value to that they don't even look at it what is there and you know some of the people who go to taters uh, that dialogue is very famous Castle, right it's very famous actually so see I have sold this Rondukasulu so that I can treat the cancer so government is doing its best to really caution people that you, you look at these people these people have neglected the warnings because of which they are facing the consequences the same thing the author of Hebrews is doing here Look at the wilderness. Look at these people. They took God's grace for granted. They took God's redemption for granted. And they missed to enter God's rest. And he's telling here that even you today, if you don't have faith, you will not enter into God's rest. No matter how many times you will hear, no matter how many times your ears are swollen listening to the word of God, nothing happens if there is no faith in what God says. Why faith matters to God so much? Why do we have to enter God's rest by faith? Why it is so important? The same book gives a reason for that. It says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 6. It says here that. And without faith it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. And that it rewards those who seek Him. He gives a reason here. God is not pleased with our devotion if it is coming out from unbelief. If it is coming out from lack of faith. If you don't trust that God exists. If you don't trust what He says is true. Then there is no reward for us. Here is one thing that I want to tell you, brothers and sisters. Although we may be thieves. And even among these, we may say we are Trinitarians. We don't just believe in the existence of God. We may believe also that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, three equal in essence and at the same time distinct in persons. We may grandly brandish and say that I believe in the Trinity. But let me tell you, lack of faith is practical atheism. Lack of faith is practical atheism. A lot of people become aware that God exists in the church. But in day-to-day activities, they live as if God doesn't exist. He's outside of their world. A lot of people don't believe that what God says is true. With regards to afflictions, with regards to temptations, with regards to our perseverance in this world. And they live as if God doesn't exist. And why God is so offended by unbelief? You know why? Why? Because unbelief is an assault, attack on God's character. You don't believe what he says is true. You are a liar, God. You are a liar. I don't believe that you will really take care of me. And you live in constant anxiety and depression because you don't believe what God says is true and about his word or anything that he says with regards to temptations and trials. And that is why... God is so serious about our faiths. Now for example, you think about this. Do you truly believe that God exists and that your life is accountable to God? Think about it carefully. Do you truly believe that God exists and that your life is accountable to God? You may escape people's notice, but no one escaped the sight of the one who who looks at the whole creation in one single glance and know their hearts, which is astounding to our finite minds. Do you truly believe that Christ died for your sins and rose from the dead? And if you really believe why some of you are neglecting him and not believing in his death on the cross for your sins, do you truly believe that God is able to deliver you from this present sins? Some of us have raised some situations that, Lord, I don't think so that you are the redeemer. In the entire Bible, I know that I love holiness. I know that God is love. But there is one word that often captivates me. And I keep telling to God, Lord, I love this word more than any other word in the entire Bible. And you know what is that? God is my redeemer. I love that people. I love that word redeemer. Because he redeems. He delivers. And in the context of sin, it's a great encourage for me to trust in him. Lord, you are able to deliver me. Do you truly believe that God is able to carry you through your difficulties safely till the end? And if you really believe, why do you give up? And live as if he doesn't exist. Live as if he is not there with you. Live as if he is not leading you further. We need to really think about that. Do you truly believe that you have eternal life? Whether you live or die, do you truly believe? Think about that. After mentioning about the importance of faith, he says in verse 2, For good news came to us just as to them. Now you must be wondering when you read this, what? Good news is different in the new covenant and good news is different in the old covenant. What does he say? He's not speaking about the substance, the message of the good news. He's talking that whatever news has come to them is good news. And whatever news has come to us, it is good news for them. For them, the good news was what? That God has come down to deliver them from the bondage of Egypt in which they have been slaves for centuries. And God himself has come down to deliver you and to lead you into the promised land where you will find rest. That was the good news given to them. Did they truly believe in that? How do we know that whether they truly believed? We know that the way they reacted in the wilderness. The way they reacted in the wilderness, questioning the goodness of God, questioning the mercy of God, questioning his promises, clearly shows that these people did not believe and therefore they did not enter. The same thing he says that the good news came to new covenant people. We were held in the bondage of sin. But Christ became a man, one among us. He took our sins upon himself and laid his life on the cross. And he died for the people's sins and rose from the dead. And he gives eternal life to all who believe in him. And in the meantime, as you live in this world, you go through trials and temptations and all kinds of afflictions. But God will lead you safely to the end. Because he who started a good work in you, will lead it to completion. How do we know whether we truly believe this? In the wilderness. It's easy to confess here. It is easy to sing here. But when we see and experience temptation and trials, practically, that shows whether we really believe what God says is true. You know, a few weeks ago... Uh, you know, some of you know that uh, uh, Vikas and uh, Susan, they have been going through a very tough years and they have come to our house and uh, my wife and I and we're spending time with them and they were narrating their entire story about how it all began, this fourth stage thyroid cancer, the afflictions they had gone through and so far where they are in their faith. And in their relating their story, Susan was telling me that there was a time when she heard that she was afflicted with thyroid cancer. She started to grumble against God. God loves me, God cares for me. Then why am I in this cancer? Why did God afflict me with this? Where is God? She was questioning the goodness of God. She was scared to die. She was scared to live his beloved one, to live her beloved ones. And then she told that one day she visited an auntie. And she was also having some kind of illness because of which blood was coming out of her nose. And she spoke to her saying that, how was your experience when the first time you realized that blood was coming out of your nose and then you are close to death? How was your reaction? And the auntie turned to her and said with a smile, I was happy that I'm going to be with the Lord. I was happy that I'm going to be with the Lord. Susan felt ashamed In her presence. What? Even I claim to believe in Christ. Even I claim to believe that there is eternal life for those who trust in him. Then why am I afraid? Why am I scared to die? Why am I scared to face this predicament in my life? And then she realized that she had no faith. She repented of her sin. And God has revived her. And still preserving her by the grace of the living God. My dear brothers and sisters, it is easy to claim so many things, but God brings wilderness in our lives to really test whether we truly believe in him and believe in who he says he is. We see that, again he says in verse 6, in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 6 he says, pointing to unbelief, and we see that unbelief and disobedience is used interchangeably here, because when you are unbelief, You are disobeying God. You are not obeying God. Since therefore it remains for some to enter in. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter. Why did they fail to enter? It says because of disobedience. Previously he says unbelief. Now he says disobedience. Why? Because unbelief is disobedience. And you are disobedient because you don't have faith. That's why I love the song that we see in the song sheet that says what? Trust and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Because only when you fear God, you have trust. And only when you have trust, you will obey God. You cannot obey God, you cannot trust God when there is lack of faith. John MacArthur affirms what the author of Hebrews says in his own words. Hear this, what he says. The need for God's rest is urgent. A person should diligently, with intense purpose and concern, secure it. It is not that he can work his way to salvation, but that he should diligently seek to enter God's rest by faith, lest he, like the Israelites in the wilderness, lose the opportunity. God cannot be trifled with. You cannot play with God, you cannot take God's word for granted. You need to have faith and believe what he says and what he does and cling and persevere till the end. There is a very important note that I want to make it over here. Hear this carefully. The very important point. Believing in Christ at the beginning is one thing. And if I ask you, when did you believe Christ? You will definitely go to some historic event that happened in the past and say, so and so. For me, it is uh, uh, June 26, 1996. And for some people it is not a particular date. But you know somewhere in the past you have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and you claim to do so. But the Bible says here that and uh, the conclusion that I want to make it here that. Believing in Christ at the beginning is one thing. Even the Hebrews here believed in the Lord. But they did not persevere. Now hear this carefully. Persevering in our faith till the end amid storms and temptations and trials is another thing. Are you getting my point? Shall we all repeat this together? Believing in Christ at the beginning is one thing. Persevering in our faith till the end. Amidst the storms of temptations and trials. Is another thing. It is our perseverance of faith till the end. And that speaks about our true faith in the Lord. It's not the beginning people that speaks about how great your faith is. It is the end. The end testifies to your genuine faith. So what we see here is that you either hear and believe and enter into God's rest or you don't believe, harden your heart and face unrest. You either hear, believe and enter into God's rest or you harden your hearts and don't believe and live a life of unrest. Some of you may be very unrest here. You need to examine your faith. Are you persevering? That's why one of the beautiful statements that I've learned these days is what? If anyone asks me, hey Stephen, how are you doing? Persevering. Persevering. Holding on. <laughs> and when I'm, when I'm giving up, hold me, hold me. Pull me up and say, hey Stephen, what happened? You were persevering so long and now you're going long away from the Lord. Come back. Come back. Hold on. That's why we need each other. We need to persevere together. The second factor. The second factor, he says, the way we enter God's rest. The first is entering God's rest. And the second factor is that we enter God's rest by God's word. And in order for you to understand the punch of Hebrews 4.12, Let me start from the beginning or else you don't get it. Why he says here? Suddenly, for the word of the living God is active, living, sharper than double-edged sword. It doesn't make sense if you don't start in the context. Now let me begin with how he says. Hebrews 1, 1 to 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. And I shared with you the first message. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets is in the form of what? The Old Testament given to us. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son. And I have reasoned with you that this is the New Testament. In other words, God spoke in the Old Testament through the prophets, which is the Old Testament given to us, and through His Son, who given to the apostles and to his close associates, and we have the New Testament. In other words, what it says is that God has given us the word, He has given us the Bible, He preserved it. And you see again what He says. In Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. Therefore, we must pay careful attention to what we have heard. Lest we drift away from what we hear. What did they hear? They heard the word of God. He says, when you hear the word, treasure it. Meditate on that. Lest you drift away from that. And then he says in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 to 8. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today if you hear his voice... And actually I have shown you that he is quoting Psalm 95. When the Bible says the Holy Spirit is speaking, hear his voice. It is speaking about what he spoke in Psalm 95. Which is nothing but the word of God. And it says here today if you hear his voice. Do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. On the day of testing in the wilderness. And again you see in verse 16 what he says. For who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Who were those who heard? That hearing is the word of God. Was it not all those who left Egypt and led by Moses? Now we come to fourth. In every chapter he keeps reminding. He says again in chapter 4 from verses 1 to 2. Chapter 4 from verses 1 to 2. He says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news, the word of God came to us just as to them, but the message they heard. The word of God that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. And now he comes to verse 12. Do you know what you have been hearing? You know the value of it? That's what he says here. You know the power of what you are hearing? You know the worth of what you have been hearing? You know what they have been hearing and failed to enter? Do you know what you are hearing? This is what... They have been hearing and this is what the word of God is. He shows the magnificence of the word of God in this one verse. Which is a lot of Christians know. But generally they ignore in what context it is said. He says in verse 12. Shall we all read this together? Lifting our voices. And read this. For the word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Now why does he say here, this is what the word of God is. It is living, it is active, it is sharper, discerning, piercing. Why does he say here? You know, why is he saying that? It is to make one point. You know what is the point? Today, if you hear his voice, Do not harden your hearts. That is the point, people. This is what the Word of God is. Don't harden your hearts. It says here that there are three descriptions that we see about what the Word of God is here in verse 12. The first thing that it says here is, people listen to this carefully also. As much as it is important, the Word of God is, and I constantly tell people that reading the Bible, listening to the Word of God is a warfare. It's a spiritual warfare. You need to understand. The devil is no more active than when you are reading or listening to the word of God. He tries his best to distract you. He tries his best to dissuade you from the voice of the spirit through the scripture. Because he knows what the power of the word of God is. Because the devil knows how powerful the word of God is. He powerfully works in you. And because we don't know the power of the word of God. We ignore it. And we don't listen to it and submit to it with reverence. We need to learn from the devil to know the power of the word of God. Because his warfare shows what he believes about the word of God. The word says here that the word of God, the first description it says is what? It says is living. You know why the Bible often says uh, living God? Does it make any sense? It doesn't make any sense when you read. It is because... Israelites were living in the context of surrounding nations where they were worshipping so many plethora of idols. And the state of those idols were dead. And when Bible is speaking about the God of the Bible is the living God, it is comparing God with the gods of the nations who have no life in them. If you read Psalm 115, you see very clearly, they have eyes but cannot see, they have mouth but they cannot speak, they have legs but they cannot walk. But our God is a living God. He is not like the dead God. So when the Bible is telling that the word of God is living means it has life. It has life. For this reason, when God gave the people his word in Deuteronomy 32 verse 47, this is what the Lord told them. You know what he said? For these are no empty words. But you are very Do you understand what he says? These are not empty words. These are not the empty words of a politician. You know that when a political leader speaks with great charisma and oratory, what do you do? Will you get impressed? You know that this guy is just parroting. These are just empty words. These are not the words of a news channel. These are not the words of a politician. These are the words of the living God. And Bible tells that these are your very life because of which the Lord Jesus even reiterated in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 what did he say man shall not live by bread alone but by every but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God why because the word of God is the life of a person it is your life people it is your life and you cannot live like that can you hold the bible in your hands can you take the bible and again, I tell you, say it with all your heart because the easiest thing to do is parroting. <laughs> Please say it genuinely. Look at it and say that. These words, are my life. These words are my life. and That's what the Bible says. This is a living word, people. It's not empty words. This has life. You don't know what this can do in your life. Don't ignore it. And it says here that the word of God is active because it has life. It is active, it is active, it is not passive, which means that it works powerfully. We see that in Psalm 19 verse 7, one of the brothers, I think Leela, just quoted that in his prayers. David wrote, the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? Restoring the soul. It restores the heart. It is actively working. And then the third description that he uses here is, the word of the Lord is not only living, not only active, It is sharper. Sharper and he compares it to something else. With what is he comparing here? Sharper than double-edged sword. I remember when I became a new Christian and I was attending a church. And there was a brother. And uh, I was talking about an interpretation which I didn't know. And I was wondering that. Why is it that some people interpret one meaning and other people interpret another meaning? Why is it? And he turned to me and said, Hebrews 4.12 says the word of God is... Sharper than double-edged, double meaning is there. <laughs> yeah. I believed it because I was a newborn and I didn't know anything about the Bible. So now I've, I have uh, I looked at it and said, what stupid answer is that? <laughs> double-edged, meaning? What is that? That's not what the context here is saying. It says that double-edged sword, and what does it do, double-edged sword? It actually is using the dagger of a Roman soldier which is double-edged and which is very fierce, piercing the normal sword. And it says here that it does two things. Double-edged sword, so it's doing two things. What is that? It says, piercing. Now, these are the participles explaining the verb. This is what actively it is working. How it is doing? Piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning. It goes deep inside where no man can penetrate. No man can ever penetrate the abyss and the depths of the man's heart. Do you know that? Women, if you think your husband, you know very well, you have no understanding. And men, if you know that, you know your wives very well, you have no understanding about the depths, the mysterious aspect of a man's heart. I was talking to you about the counseling some time ago. How mysterious a man's heart is. But no one escapes the sight of the word of God. It says that it pierces to the division. And what does it do after piercing? It discerns. The thoughts and intentions of the heart. You and I as human beings, we just hear words. Acoustic. The sound of the words we hear. We only see the behavior of the people. The intentions of the people don't make sound as your word does. The purposes of the heart will not be visible as behavior is visible. But the word of God discerns and exposes. There is a warning that I would like to give you because a lot of people would like to do that is, they try to get into the details of it. And that's what I see that people like watch many uh, mystical authors they try to do that is, what is soul here? What is the spirit here? What is joint here? What is marrow here? And they do a lot of surgery on that. I think it is dangerous to go too much into details because it's not giving the dichotomy, trichotomy or whatever automies are there. That is not the point. The point here is that the word of God is not blunt. Don't go too much into that. It says that ultimately one point that is making is that the word of God pierces, penetrates the depths of our soul. It goes deep within that no person can enter. It exposes. It convicts. It penetrates and it breaks. I love, when I became a new Christian, I was reading these words and they were so enlivening to me. The word of God is like a hammer that breaks. The word of God is like a fire that burns. The word of God is like a sword that pierces, penetrates, discerning, exposing the depths of the heart that we cover up with many layers in our everyday life. That's the power of the word of God and you know when I was thinking about this uh, penetration piercing dividing my mind immediately went to Acts chapter 2 verse 37 which confirms this is what the word of God does and you know what do we see here when these people heard from the from Peter the gospel it says when they heard this they were cut to the heart Cut to the heart. That's exactly what it says here that. It cuts us. It goes deep, penetrates. Some of you may be thinking, why am I not experiencing this? That's the reason he says, today if you hear his voice, <laughs> do not harden the heart. You know, one of my constant prayers to God is, Lord, give me a tender heart. Tender, oh Lord. So that when I read your word, I immediately am pricked. Immediately convicted. Immediately exposed. So that I would know that you are working in my heart. And I'm telling you, I constantly experience that. Constantly. And I praise God for this piercing and powerful word of the living God. If there are unbelievers here, I would like to give you one encouragement from C.H. Virgin. C.H. Virgin, as many of you know, or some of you know, that he was a man of great preaching. In fact, there is a title awarded to him. And the title is, he was the Prince of Preachers. The amount of work that he has accomplished in his life, very few could reach even 10% of his energy, enthusiasm, devotion, commitment, and fruit. Such a powerful man of God he was. But you know what was he before? He didn't know the gospel. He didn't know the Savior. In fact, he explains this in his own words. He says that, I was years and years upon the brink of hell. I was heading, running towards hell. I made in my own feeling. I was unhappy. I was desponding. That is no hope. I was despairing. I dreamed of hell. My life was full of sorrow and wretchedness, believing that I was lost. And interestingly, and this is all when he was just 15 years old. And when he was 15 years old, Spurgeon was walking on the street and he faced a thunderstorm. It was a snowstorm. It was so fearful that he was scared that he will be dying. So he was looking for some shelter so that he can save himself. And then he saw a Methodist chapel there. An old Methodist chapel and he rushed in that building so that he can be saved from the snowstorm. And then when he was hiding over there thinking about the storm outside. He didn't know the storm is coming from the inside. And then a lay preacher who doesn't know the Bible at all. He just stood there and he didn't know what to preach actually. This is the power of the word of God. He didn't know what to preach. So he kept on repeating these words. And you know what he said? He just opened the Bible. And he just read from Isaiah chapter 45 verse 22. Which was one of my favorite verses when I became a Christian. Because I was using this in my evangelism. It says, look unto me all you ends of the earth. And be saved for I am God and there is no other. He just read this. And Spurgeon wrote in his own biography the way the dramatic experience took place. Just listen to his words, what he says. He had not much to say. Why? He was not a theologian, not a preacher, a simple lay preacher who just stood up. He had not much to say, thank God. For that compelled him to keep on reading his text. Just keep repeating the text. And there was nothing needed by me. We don't even know the name of who that guy was. And what God did through him. And then he says, Then stopping, he pointed to where I was sitting under the gallery and he said, That young man there looks very miserable. And he shouted, Look, look, young man, look now. Then I had this vision, not a vision to my eyes, but to my heart. I saw what a Savior Christ was. Now I can never tell you how it was, but I no sooner saw whom I was to believe than I also understood what it was to believe. And I did believe in one woman and he was born again. And you know when did he become a pastor? 19 years. Look at the 19 years here. Amazing. What made him? What made him? <laughs> the word of God. And I tell you here, any unbelievers, I call upon you, please don't harden your heart. If God is speaking to you, open it open your heart repent of your sins believe in the one who loved you and gave his life for you if you are a believer here i have a very good encouragement for you also in my early years i was listening a lord if there is one picture that i used to listen it was ravi Zacharias. i'm sorry that he is not in good reputation today because of the damage he had done to his own character and ministry posthumously that is after his death But when he was alive, I remember listening to this story in one of his tapes, and it sank deeply into my heart. And he spoke about a Vietnamese translator, Hien Pham. And this man was a young, devoted Christian. And he was translating the American military forces. Not because he was hired by them, but just because he was a Vietnamese and he knew the Vietnamese and also at the same time English, so he was just translating them. And because he was a good translator, the missionaries also were using him in translating the message to the Vietnamese. So after some time, what happened was Vietnam fell into the hands of communists. And they vehemently, with great vengeance, they want to remove this capitalism democracy and they want to bring into this communist regime so that they can rule over them. And then they caught this young man because of his belief in the Christian faith and they put him in prison, in and out. And one time when he was in a long-term jail situation, this man was persecuted and tortured day in and day out. And particularly, they robbed him away from the Bible, from English literature, and day and night, and day and night, he was indoctrinated in his mind, constantly hearing the voices, to believe the philosophies of Karl Marx and Engels, the communist giants. And this man was resisting, but as he was constantly listening and listening, and pierced and indoctrinated, overdosed, finally he came to a situation And then he thought, maybe what these people speaking is to the truths. Maybe God doesn't exist. Someone has really manipulated my mind and I was deceived. And I came to believe in the existence of God. But I don't think so God exists. I think it's the Western missionaries who came and deceived us and spoiled our minds. But there is no such a thing as existence of God. And the Bible is not true. And the Christian faith is not relevant. Look at where am I today. And he decided that the next day when he gets up, that will be the first day he will never pray. And he will keep on living a life without prayer. And I don't believe in the Christian faiths. When he got up the next day, the commander told him, now you have a different task. The task is, you should go and clean all the latrines in the prison. And cleaning the toilets in prison was a gory task. Dirty, stenching work. Everyone escaped from cleaning the toilets. So he had no choice, with great grudge in his heart, he went to clean the toilets and his eyes suddenly fell upon a piece of paper with toilet in that. And he saw from far, the literature seems to be English, and then he drew a little closer and he saw that there is poop on that and there is this dirty toilet paper and he saw some English words. He immediately put that into the hip pocket and he was seeking for an opportunity so that he can read. And in the night, he already cleaned actually, he cleaned it and put it in the pocket. And then in the middle of the night. He opened his torchlight. And then he flashed on that paper. Looking what this English literature is. And he saw Romans chapter 8. And he was reading. He was trembling when he was reading. What is this? How come this is here? Because one of the commanders was using the Bible as a toilet paper. And he was reading. And he came across words. And he saw that. For I consider that the suffering of this present world are not worth comparing with the glory that is revealed to us. And we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who have been called according to his purpose. And as he kept on reading, he fell upon the words, No, he says that what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, Who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? And as he came to the end of the chapter, he was struck with his words when it says, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor the things present or the things future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. That man crucified. He fell there with trembling and knees and he was weeping, Lord, the first time I thought I would never pray and I would give up my Christian faith and this is how you visit me? And he repented of his sin, saying, Lord, forgive my sin for doubting who you are. For at the verge of giving up my faith, he again rededicated his life to God and went to the commander and said, I want to clean toilets every day. (laughs) And he was picking up those papers with toilet, cleaning them. Every night he was doing devotions with that. And finally, there came a time God delivered him from the prison And he settled in America. What I would like to tell you. Brothers and sisters. Is that the word of God. Is powerful. You have no idea. What it does. You know right after mentioning. The power of the word of God. The author of Hebrews concludes. And I come to conclusion in verse 13. He says in 4.13. And no creature. Is hidden from his sight. But all are naked. And exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The interesting thing is, right after mentioning that the word of God pierces, discerns, exposes the condition of the heart, he says immediately that nothing is hidden from the sight of God. Everything is naked bare before him to whom we must give an account. You know what is very astounding here? You cannot divorce God from his word. The way God watches over you and exposes you is through the word of God. Because what the word of God does in penetrating our souls and the omniscience of God is explained simultaneously. Now what is it that I want to say to you? What I want to say to you is that, brothers and sisters, please read the Bible every day with reverence. It gives you rest. If you are not saved, it saves you. If you are saved, it sanctifies you and gives you the hope to persevere till the end. Please don't neglect this precious word. And if you are doing, God is speaking to you. This is more important than your daily food. Forgo that video games. Forgo that phone and forgo that eating. Forgo anything than the word of God. Because it saves you, sanctifies you, and changes here. It has so much power. Some of you know who are here. And this I constantly experience. This power of the word of God. I was reading the word of God. Preparing for one of the messages. And God spoke very powerfully. Through a passage in Proverbs. Just last week. It happened. And I couldn't go beyond that. It was as if he nailed me on the, on the wall. And he said there is no way you can go. You have to face it. And I couldn't do any other thing. I left reading, preparing, everything. I went and settled the issue. Because I was gripped with very powerful conviction. That I couldn't go anywhere. Settled the issue. Came back. And again started preparing the message. Now that's the power, people. The way it brings healing in relationships. The way it brings enlightenment. The way it convicts us of our sin. The way it really exposes our heart. The way it really comforts us in affliction is indescribable. But the devil does everything possible to keep you away from this. Because he knows what it can do in your life. When you read it reverentially. Please spend time. Dilkishan said that the only time that he could find, that he could qualitatively spend time is get up early in the morning and he spend for an hour. We all spend, people who get up at five, because we have sufficient time. But if you just wake up late, you have nothing else to do but rush to work, rush to some kind of house chores and you neglect. And just for the sake of satisfying your guilty conscience, you read one verse or two or five minutes and then rush. Where do you find rest for your souls? Oh, busy man and woman, when you neglect these words of life, God is telling you, come, come and listen to my word. Get on your knees and read and read and see what this word can do. It can bring life to the people who are dead. And the other thing that I say is also, hear God's word in the gathered church with reverence. People, you have no idea what blessed people are you in this nation. You have no idea. And some of you here take it for granted. Go and search in India how many churches preach expositional sermons. Go. I hear people come and tell me outside, your church is very blessed, brother, to listen to these words of life from the scripture because we are hungering. Why Azad comes from Barangal, three hours journey, sometimes Krupakar, three hours? Are these crazy people? Because they know they don't find this kind of expositional preaching. And they are pleading with us planted church there. Where expositional preaching is given. And you come sleep late night. Hang over. Watch some television. And have some entertainment. And come here some of you and sleep. Because you don't get time to rest. Previous night. And you come over here. With a very casual attitude. Not realizing how blessed people are you. Some of them know the value of it. They travel hours. How do you come and listen to the word of God? You don't even read a passage when it is given praying, Lord, I read this passage, speak to my heart, open the eyes of my heart, because the preachers who come here and preach, they slog through hours, preparing, praying, even fasting, that Lord, you build your church through your word. Don't you revere it? Don't you honor the labor of the preachers? Don't you come here with prayer and hunger and reading and preparation, Lord, speak to my heart and change my life? That's how we grew up in our Christian life, people. And I wonder at the modern saints who don't have such reverence. Stephen Cole, one of my favorite expositors, he says that expository preaching has fallen on hard times. Many are saying that people who are used to television and other modern media cannot handle a 40-minute sermon. Sadly, many pastors are heeding that advice. seeker churches advocate 15-minute talk built around some felt-need motivational sermon accompanied by short dramas to hold people's attention. They say that we should never mention sin or anything else that will make anyone feel uncomfortable. The aim is to make everyone feel good in the church. If the church is making everyone feeling good in the church, that's not a good church to be in. It should make you uncomfortable with your lukewarm, sinful life. That's a true church. And that's why the omniscient eye of God says, God uses his word to convict our sins even the deepest recesses of our hearts and we should study here so that we would come to repentance. God's, God uses his word to comfort us in affliction. Even the pain that we cannot share with anyone, no one may know. But when you read the word, you will learn that, Lord, how is it that you have come to know my heart? You will, ast- you will be astounded the way you will see God working in your life. One of the reasons I am still persevering is only because of these people. Only because of this. If not for the word of God there is nothing that I can stand so far I would have been lost and lost and lost multiple times but this word brings me back every time whenever I go away God uses his word brothers and sisters to persevere till the end in the fallen world apart from this you cannot persevere till the end and enter into the word of and enter into God's rest so I say that as we are all accountable to God The question is how we respond to the word of God. How we respond. Jeremiah 23, 23, 24 says, Am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him? Declares the Lord. Do I not fill the heaven and the earth? And declares the Lord. And the way he visits us often is through the door of the word of God. In summary, I want to encourage you. Strive to enter and remain and hope for god's rest by faith strive to enter and persevere and hope for god's rest by god's word let's all stand together and pray let's stand together and pray the point that the author is making i echo those words today If you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts to your own harm, to your own detriment. Don't do that. Confess our unbelief. Confess our negligence of his word, which God has given for our perseverance in this fallen world. Come back, people. Come back. Where else do we go? There is nothing here. Nothing. Go anywhere, you will become miserable. The only place is the rest that God gives us. Nothing is an answer except the God of rest in the God of the Bible. Let's turn to him. And again, remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Don't just see that as evangelistic sermon. I think we should hear those words from the heart of the Lord Jesus every day. You may be a Christian for 50 years. The 51th 51th year also you should hear these words. And Christ says, come unto me. All you are heavy laden and burdened. And I will give you rest. Learn from me and find rest for your souls. For I am humble and gentle in heart. Where do you find such a beautiful, wonderful, humble, glorious savior. Who gives us rest. Let's find rest for our souls in him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for speaking. You never stop speaking, O Lord. If we are not hearing, it is not because you don't speak. It is because we are hardened and became numb to the voice of the Holy Spirit. O Lord, may we never reach a state of desensitization, hardness. Where we will no more sense and become paralytic in our spiritual life. That we no more sense the voice of the living God. We read the Bible but we find only dead letters there. But there is no discernment, piercing, penetration, division of the soul and spirit. Oh Lord, what a pathetic state that we can reach into. We pray this morning that you give us a tender heart. Heart of brokenness, heart of repentance, heart of submission, heart that trembles at the word of God. Oh Lord, cause us to fear you and your word and live according to your will in this world full of sin and temptations. We pray, Lord, let your active, living, penetrating, sharper sword would always work wonders in our hearts, stimulating, enlivening our faith in you. That we may fear you, trust in you, obey you, and persevere in our faith till the end. We don't know how long we will live, alone, But so long that we live, we live by faith and by the word. And enter into God's eternal rest. By finding rest at the feet of Christ. And we pray that you please to uphold us. Do not leave us, nor forsake us because of our sins against you. But forgive us. In the Lord Jesus Christ. And continue to speak to us. Till the last day. When our faith will turn to sight. And we will behold your face. And live in eternal glory. In the name of our Lord Jesus. We pray with thanksgiving. Amen. Thank you for listening to the message. We believe you have been greatly encouraged in your heart. Stephen David also writes articles that are relevant to today's generation. You may read them on his blog www.messageforourage.blogspot.com I repeat www.messageforourage.blogspot.com You may also email him at cstephendavid at gmail.com. I repeat, cstephendavid at gmail.com. Grace and peace be to you.